It is good to see you. Good morning to everybody joining us online. We're so glad you're with us this morning as well. So we are in the middle of Advent, and we are calling this Advent series Merry Christmas because this time of year is messy in a lot of different ways. It's a little bit like my best and worst adventure that happened simultaneously on my last uh, family vacation. It was just real, like two weeks ago. I decided that it would be fun, because I'm a little dumb, to uh, go out in the wild Pacific Ocean with like a child's pool float around my waist, okay? I wanted to get out beyond the breakers where things were a little calmer, so that I could ride the huge, just huge waves that were just gently cresting out there. So this is a little video of what the ocean was like that day. My, these are actually my kids playing in the ocean that day. So that was a great idea. I made it out beyond the breakers, which is a miracle. I don't know how it happened. And it was so much fun, because when you're out there, you're just like up and down, up and down on these huge, huge waves. And it was awesome, until I realized eventually I would have to make it back into shore with my little child's pool float around my waist. So I was having so much fun up there. Um, until the very last wave, and it was, it was great. It took me way, way up in the air. My family looked like ants on the beach, but then it just plummeted me down the other side. I mean, I was like a rag doll in the spin cycle. It was ferocious. Water was just coming from every direction and beating against my body. And once I realized that uh, I was gonna live <laughs> and the pain began to subside, I noticed my swimsuit bottoms being ripped off my body. <laughs> I was completely pantsless. I landed in about 10 inches of water, laughing and screaming, I have no pants! I have no pants! And it gets worse. I couldn't stand up. Because, and the waves just kept crashing over me and over me, and I just kept yelling between the waves, I don't have any pants! And finally, my husband came running with a towel. <laughs> Man, Christmas can be like this, can it? It's the best and the worst, often laying things bare that we don't expect. <laughs> so Merry Christmas. This time of year is messy in so many ways. We know that that's true. Loneliness and grief can be really difficult this time of year, and especially right when everything is supposed to be so joyful. And I know that many of you in the room and those of you who are joining us online are really struggling with loneliness and grief this time of year. And we're so glad you're a part of our church family here. And it is great to be with family and friends this time of year, right? But man, it takes a lot of people skills to be with people, doesn't it? And it's so much fun to create Christmas traditions with kids. Like, we live for that stuff, don't we? But it's exhausting. So no matter who you are or what you're experiencing this Christmas, we think that this series is for you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. 
So the Bible records the messiness and the drama of the very first Christmas, and we're going to take a look at that. Now you can find it in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse 22. So this story takes place about 40 days after Jesus was born, when Mary and Joseph took him to the temple in Jerusalem. So this is about like a 30-hour journey, mostly on foot. Mom's in the room. I want you to think about how you felt 40 days after you had a baby. This is incredible. Now, the laws that regulated Jewish faith at that time demanded a trip to the temple after the birth of a baby, and this is where we're going to pick up the story here. So when the time came for the purification rites, and I want you to remember purification rites, required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, baby Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So our first clue to the mess this very first Christmas that Jesus was born is this need for purification rites and animal sacrifice. And this just feels weird to us, doesn't it? Like purification rites and animal sacrifices. But before Jesus, if you wanted to get right with God, if you wanted to be made clean, if you wanted your sin forgiven, you had to bring an animal for sacrifice. The spilling of that animal's blood was the pathway for the washing away of sin. Merry Christmas. It's always been messy. Humanity is fatally broken and messy relationship with God could not be fixed with words or good behavior or promises or even the strongest faith. No. Something stronger was needed. Someone was needed. And it's Jesus, God with us. It's what we celebrate at Christmas, that God himself came to dwell among us. So here we find Mary and Joseph, a newborn baby Jesus, coming to the temple for purification and the consecration of their firstborn son with a bird sacrifice. A bird being sacrificed in the presence of baby Jesus, the one who would one day give his life as a sacrifice to save the world. So Luke, in this part of the story, is just intentionally building the drama for us. So let's look at this. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This little phrase, present him to the Lord, it, it's a pivot point of all history right here. Jesus, the Christ, is being presented to the Lord? What does that mean? Who is the Lord? Well, it's Jesus. They're one in the same. Picture this scene. It's just like full of foreshadowing and building drama. What's happening? We just sang about, what, about it. What started in a manger ends in an empty grave, right? The baby, the Lord, being presented to the Lord, Jesus, God the Son, 
willingly left heaven where there is perfect love and unity to be born as a human infant to an impoverished teenage couple far, far from home. This was a messy situation that Jesus was born into. So why is God's story like this so often? And I think it's because this is who God is and what God does. God always makes the first move towards messy, broken humanity. Messes don't scare God. Brokenness, struggle, division, these are the places and the people and the situations that God just moves towards. Your messes, my messes, they don't ever stop God from moving toward us. So, in the midst of all this building drama, another character emerges. It's a man named Simeon. So we're going to pick up the story there. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So Simeon was a good man. He was, had been waiting for a long time for the comfort, the consolation of Israel means the comfort and the saving power that the Messiah would bring. And God's good spirit revealed to him that he would live to see with his own eyes the Messiah, the promised one. Can you even imagine being Simeon? Believing that God made you a promise like this and then waiting and holding on to hope all through the years and years and years of silence? I have some things to learn from Simeon, I realized. What kind of person waits with that kind of hope, with that kind of faith? What does that kind of faith feel like? Because Simeon, from what we know about him, had been waiting for a long time, like decades. Decades of waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus, he had finally arrived. And Simeon was just overjoyed. So Advent, this time of year that we find ourselves in, means a time of waiting. And there is a lot of waiting in life, isn't there? Waiting is difficult, and it's often messy, and I'm not very good at it. Are you? So I want you to think about a time in your life when you were waiting for something. So kids, for you, it might be that time that you were just waiting for just one friend at school. Or maybe somebody, just anyone who could actually understand you and the kinds of things that you're going through. And then we grow up and the waiting changes. Waiting for addictions that won't seem to let go. Or for a grown child to like fully launch, but they just keep hitting like roadblocks and setbacks. Or waiting for that fog of depression and anxiety to finally lift so you feel like you can finally just stand up straight and take a deep breath. Or it could be for you waiting for that spark of wonder and joy to return to the things that you used to love. Or waiting to hear just a whisper from God 
but all you get is silence. It could be waiting to get some recognition for the hard work you do, or waiting for that baby you have prayed so long and so hard for. All of us experience waiting in our own way, and waiting is hard and messy. So we're gonna look at what might have happened inside of Simeon as he waited so long with hope for the Messiah, Jesus. So this is the next part of the story. Simeon, moved by the Spirit, went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So the first thing I want us to notice is that Simeon, Simeon, isn't just sitting back and waiting for something to happen. He didn't see his waiting for the Messiah as like a passive activity. His hope came from considering himself a partner, a servant with God. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon viewed himself so much a servant or a partner with God. Look, he actually gave God permission to dismiss him. What does that look like? Okay, God, you're free to let me go now. This is what I think happened in Simeon. Simeon's hopeful waiting made him God's active partner and servant. He found something to do with God while he waited. These aren't the words of someone sitting back and waiting passively for things to happen. Simeon's waiting was full of active hope. So I wonder... If he talked to God so much, if he just talked to God so much about his desire for the Messiah and how desperately the Messiah was needed as Savior for himself and his people, that God was finally like, who is this guy? And sent the Holy Spirit down to be with him. Did Simeon repeatedly ask God in prayer, when are you going to move, God? When are you going to do it? I know you're going to do it, and I want to see it. I want to be part of it. I can't wait God, we need you so much. You're the comfort my people and the whole world needs. Did he pray, I will trust you, God, in this silence, but it isn't easy. I wonder if that's what it looked like for Simeon. So how can you become God's active partner, his servant, in your hopeful waiting? What does that look like for us? to wait with the hope of Simeon. For each of us to wait actively with God as a partner and participant right in the middle of life's messes. Remember, messes don't scare God. Wherever you find yourself waiting, how could you become God's active partner and servant? So I have a few ideas. Uh, The first one is this. Are you waiting alone? Does anyone know that then you're in the middle of waiting for someone, for something? So maybe the first thing you could do is just invite someone in. Tell God. Tell someone you trust. Ask someone to pray for you. The second thing I think you could do is actually find something to do while you wait. Make your waiting active. Because is your waiting like uh, 
paralyzing and all-consuming, if all you can do is wait and worry, add some action to your waiting. So it might look like this. Some of us need to start the hard work of forgiveness. There is no better way to partner with God than to begin the work of forgiveness. Maybe for you, you need to get really clear about what you're waiting for. Are you waiting for fulfilling work? What would that actually look like for you to have fulfilling work? Do you know? If you don't know what you're waiting for, how will you know when you get it? Simeon was really clear about what he was waiting for. Figure out what you're waiting for and be really clear with God about it in prayer. So I don't know what it looks like for you to become an active partner and servant with God, but God knows. And I know that God is waiting for you when you're ready to turn to him and partner with him. So hope-filled people like Simeon, when faced with waiting, find ways to do something while they wait. And so decades of waiting didn't leave Simeon hanging in the background as Jesus was brought into the temple. He walked up to Mary and Joseph, took that baby in his arms, and he praised God saying this, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Do you see all of these phrases? These are really important phrases like all nations and Gentiles, that's you and me, and uh, your people Israel. The Holy Spirit made it clear to Simeon that the Messiah had come for all of humanity, not just Simeon's people, not just the Jewish people, all nations, people far from God and people who were confident that they were God's people. Can you see in these words and phrases that Simeon's waiting all those years for a Messiah got all wrapped up in the good of other people? Simeon's hopeful waiting was all wrapped up in the good of others. That sounds exactly like something God would do, doesn't it? So Simeon focused on what he wanted and needed a Messiah, but he found the story was much bigger than just himself, much bigger than just his own people, his own nation, his own tribe. He waited for a Messiah who would comfort the entire world. So if we want to partner with God in our waiting, we need to make room for the good of other people. So where in your waiting, where am I waiting, can we make room for the good of others? That's a really big question. I have a friend, her name is Wooby. Her real name's Woobit, but we call her Wooby. And I met Wooby and her husband, Oweke, and their two sons, Dan and Nathan, while um, on an Orchard Hill international partner visit to Mozambique. So we have a partnership with Food for the Hungry staff in Mozambique about uh, Orchard families sponsor about 300 kids in a couple of neighborhoods in this particular area of Mozambique. And when we go visit, we get a chance to go to some of the families' homes, and we met Wubi and Oweke that way. 
So over the years, they've, uh, Awake has been able to come over for the, like, the Global Leadership Summit, and we've been able to build a relationship with this family. Well, Wubi always wanted to pursue her master's degree, and after about seven years in Mozambique, a really difficult but really inspiring years full of stories of God at work, they decided that it was time for a change for their family. And they had a big savings that allowed them to actually enroll at UNI in master's programs. So the family moved to Cedar Falls, Awubi and Awake and their uh, elementary and teenage son. And they just settled in great. It was incredible. It was so fun to see them on their adventure, and everything was good for about two years. And then a global pandemic hit, and their home country of Ethiopia, where they were originally from, started sliding towards civil war. And as they talked to their family back home, they warned them to do whatever they could do to keep from bringing the boys back to Ethiopia due to the killings and the food shortages and all the uncertainty there. So both of them are finishing their master's programs, and they knew that when their student work visas would run out, they wouldn't be able to afford to feed or house their boys. They had to make rapid decisions that were life-changing. And the decisions ended up splitting their family, forcing their family to live in different areas. Uh, Wubi had to stay and keep working here. Alweke entered a doctoral program so they could stay in the country and, and, you know, he could further his education in St. Louis. And they made the excruciating decision to send their boys to a private boarding school outside of Chicago on a full scholarship. So my friend Wubi suddenly found herself completely alone in a foreign country, separated from her family by hundreds of miles. So last month, Wubi and I drove to pick up the boys for a visit, and we started uh, talking about how she was managing the situation. You know, I was like, Wubi, what? How are you doing this? And she looked at me and she said, Carla, I just cry and cry and cry and cry to God. And I asked God over and over again, when? When are we going to be back together? When are things going to change? God, what are we needing to do? She said, I cry and cry and cry. She actually said it like that. And then she said, when there aren't any tears left, after I do all of that, then God, Holy Spirit, starts to put people into my head. Wubi works as a, a direct support care person for people with intellectual disabilities and mental disabilities. And she said, I just start getting the names of those people in my head. And I know that God is telling me, even though you are waiting to be reunited to your family, you can love these people. That's your job. That's your pathway through this time of waiting. Wubi is an amazing person. Because we all know that waiting can shrink our world. It can make us small, it can keep us self-absorbed, and we begin to feel as if our problems, our concerns are all that matters. And I get it, some of the people in this room, some of you watching online have big, big struggles that you're waiting through. But Simeon and Wubit's experience paint a different kind of picture. There's still the crying and there's still the waiting but I wonder if some of us in our waiting for bigger, small things need to start asking that same question, right? Who else do you want me to love while I wait? Who 
else do you want me to love while I wait? How can my suffering, my waiting, my hope delayed become about something more than just me? Maybe it's a simple prayer like, who, God, who do you want me to reach out to while I wait? Because the truth is that we need each other to face the messes this life throws at us. I need you, and you need me, and we all need Jesus. So, to close, Wubi's story makes me think of this quote by Dan Tomasulo. Hope is the seed planted in the muck of life that always looks for the sun. Do you see that active part of that quote? That looking for the sun in the middle of the dirt that life throws at us? Waiting like Simeon did is hard. And waiting like Wubi is waiting right now is really hard. And it's easy to lose hope in the midst of it. It feels like we're in the dark and like a seed in the soil, but Simeon's story gives us hope. And hope is a seed planted in the muck of life that always looks for the sun. And we're from Iowa, right? So we know what happens when a seed gets planted in the dirt and looks for the sun. The seed doesn't stay in the muck. It grows into a tree, into bushels of beans or rows and rows of corn, into beautiful flowers and fruit and all kinds of life. So if you're waiting this Advent season, may Simeon's story give you hope. Hope that even in the waiting, you can partner with God to work toward what it is you are waiting for. And if you're waiting this Advent season, may Simeon and Wubit's story give you hope. Hope that even as you wait, God wants to work through you to love the people around you who wait too. And if you find your life this Advent season a little like my experience in the ocean, may my story give you hope that no matter how messy or spun around or pantsless you may feel, God always makes the first move towards messy, broken humanity. This is the story of Christmas. This is the only story that's worth waiting and putting our hope in. Let's pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, your stories are not like our stories. You are not like us in so many ways. It's your very nature to search out the most broken, the people who are struggling the most, people who are swamped with loneliness and grief and move in close. So whether we feel like that person this morning or we feel like, you know what? Christmas season is is where it's at. It's my happiest time of year. May we turn our face to your son, to your son, Jesus. May we find ways to partner with you, God, to bring your love and your hope and your forgiveness and your saving grace to the entire world. Would you breathe your Holy Spirit into us like you did into Simeon? And would you help this little gathering in your name in the middle of Iowa reach out in love to the entire world, to the people in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces? Would you, as we love the people around us, heal us, give us strength, and give us imagination 
for what it looks like to live in your powerful kingdom. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.